Well, how about those words, hey? Mm-hmm. Um, thank you, Sharon and Serena, for reading. Uh, we'll see in a few moments that um, that's important that you are reading. Let's, uh, let's, I'm going to get myself a bit organised here. Grab your Bibles open if you've got a Bible in front of you. Um, that would be great. And I'll pray for us, shall I? Father, for your goodness and your, and your mercy to us, we thank you so much. We thank you for church and we thank you for this opportunity we have to come together. Um, Lord, as we respond to your word this morning, help us to respond, uh, Lord, with, um, uh, with obedience and, and trust. Sometimes things we read in the Bible just conflicts totally with the world around us. And this is one of those mornings. Um, and so, Lord, we, we pray for your strength and guidance we pray that we can trust you and, um, and put you first rather than anything else. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I, um, I, love, uh, I love coming to church. Isn't that good? It's good coming to church. I love it. I love seeing people. I love seeing new people, talking to people. Um, I think it, is a, it is, a, is a great privilege. I love meeting together over a cup of tea and a, and a scone. Whatever we might have, not quite sure what's on morning tea. I'm sure it would be good. I'm looking forward to that later on. Uh, it, it, it's a privilege to come together. It is. Where God's people are drawn together by the gospel. God brings us together. That's what the Bible describes us as God's people and loved by God. Now, have you ever thought about it like this? Where this follower of Jesus that you're speaking to, that you might be sitting next to, that you're sharing a scone with, I guess you can have a scone each, that's okay, isn't it? You can do that. Um, when you're sharing a cup of morning, get up with some morning tea together, this person that you're speaking to is loved by God. This person here, Christ died for them. God has drawn them together with you in this place. Have you thought about it like that? But the funny thing about church, though, is that sometimes we disagree. And one of the things we disagree about is what to do when we meet together at church. Or what kind of meeting is best. Now, there's been lots of different answers, haven't they, across centuries of, of the Christian church of what to do. And, and we tend to have our own personal preference, don't we? That's why we come to this service and maybe not the 8am or the 6pm. We have our own personal preferences. But problems begin when we think it's more than a preference. Our meetings must be more formal, we might say. One might say that. Uh, hymns are far more dignified than choruses. Uh, organs, oh, organs versus guitars and drums. Um, Robes and a clerical collar versus something else. Clearly, this is more spiritual than that, someone might say. But what's to say what I feel is more comfortable? What's to say that what I feel more comfortable with is necessarily better than what someone else feels more comfortable with? So here's the problem. The mistake is not about having a preference. Nothing wrong with that. The mistakes that some of us Christians tend to make is thinking that God has a preference. That's the mistake. 
So today, as we close our series on 1 Corinthians that we've jumped back into to sort of finish a few things off, uh, and you're going to have to read 1 Corinthians 15 and 16 for homework on your own. Sorry about that. We start our Christmas series next, uh, next week. We jump back into chapter 14, and we'll see what God thinks really matters as we meet together. As we come together, what God thinks really matters. What sort of meeting should this meeting be? That's the question we're asked. What should it be characterised by? Well, if you can see, if you've got your outline there, hopefully you've got that. It's in front of you uh, in, the, in the bulletin. Um, verse 26, Paul brings up a problem. It's actually a common problem in churches. Uh, we have this problem sometimes. I don't know. Uh, what shall we say then? Verse 26. What shall we say then, brothers and sisters, when you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation? So Paul's still talking about when Christians are gathering together. He started that conversation back in chapter one, uh, sorry, chapter 11, verse 1, uh, and he's continuing on with that, that discussion. So try to picture the scene. They didn't have buildings that they owned. Uh, they mostly met in family homes and reasonably large gatherings, probably a gathering just like this one, actually. There was no, generally no meeting times. They ate a bit of food together. They met in homes. There wasn't much in the way of tradition. Many things could happen as they met together. Someone comes in with a new hymn they reckon will top Amazing Grace. Doesn't quite make sense, but that's okay. Uh, something like that. <laughs> or maybe shout to the Lord or something, I don't know. Someone else comes in with a word of instruction. They've got some teaching they'd like to share. Uh, someone with a revelation. God's revealed something to them. They want to share that. Or someone has come in and is keen to speak in tongues. Now, many things could happen, Paul says. And note, this is not a prescriptive uh, list. In other words, this is not a list of things that must happen in church. It's not that at all. Paul is describing church at Corinth, that specific situation. It's what we call descriptive. So here's the problem. With all these things of what to do, uh, that's the question. What should they do? What's more important? What should they focus on? We can't do everything. We just don't have enough time to do everything. It would last all day. We can't do that. Um, and it can't all happen at once. That would be chaotic. There needs to be some order. So if, all, if it happened all at once, then the, only the pushy, loud people would get heard. And that, that wouldn't be right. That wouldn't be fair. It reminds me of one of the rules I have with my Year 5 and 6 Scripture class at Robbo Public. I... Um, I make sure that when they want to speak, they have to put their hands up and I've got to call, it, call their name and point to them or just call their name. They can't just scream out. Now, I've got some lovely characters in my Year 5 and 6 scripture class and um, they struggle with this rule sometimes and sometimes it's a bit chaotic. But, I, you know, this is the rule. We've got to, got to do it. Now, I, I wonder if Corinth was a bit like that, a little bit chaotic. See, the answer is, Paul says, is not that everybody does their own thing. That's not the answer. Um, it not, the answer is not that everybody does what they like. Church is not an opportunity to express myself or, or what I've brought along. Indeed, the solution is something Paul's already spoken about in the last few chapters. And we saw it last week as well. Look at the second part, or the last little phrase, this last sentence of verse 26. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. Now, that word strengthening is the same word that we've come across in verse 3 and 12 in this chapter. Building. It really should literally read, all of these must be done for building, building the church. Building faith in Jesus Christ, building love for one another, building that sure and certain hope we have in heaven. So yes, there's diversity when we come together, but there's a great unity, isn't there? A common purpose 
And that is building, or another word we could use is edifying. Church is not an opportunity to, for self-expression or to, to show off the new hymn you've written lately or to focus on ourselves. So diversity in what we are doing, but a unity that should control what we do. Question we asked last week then was, how do you walk into church? Now, we weren't, weren't talking about funny walks or length of stride or anything like that. Uh, how do you, what should we think about as we walk into church, as we prepare to come even? What should we think about? Well, we think about bodybuilding. Not big muscles, but big spiritual muscles that we encourage with others. Building others up. That's our purpose as we come together. It's not performance, is it? Very, very easy for a preacher to, to, to get trapped in the performance thing. It's pretty easy for a preacher to sort of show off, uh, to preach so that people are impressed with me. So they come up the end and pat me on the back and say, good, good job, Graham, good job. And I go, well, thanks very much, that's lovely. Um, you're, you're too kind. Um, <laughs> no, it's very easy to get caught up in that as a preacher. Or even leading services. You can perform as you lead services or as you read the Bible. You can treat it like a performance. Um, and, of course, musicians. See, musicians, and I speak as a musician as well, we grow up. Um, it's in our DNA that everything we do is about performance. We, we, you go through a grade. You, 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 know, you do an exam and do a grade. You, you seek the applause of those listening to you. You seek their approval. You want the big crowds. It's good fun. But when we come to church, well, we ask of something very different of our musicians we ask them to simply serve us, to put that performance thing aside and simply serve us and help us to sing. That's what we ask our musicians to do. Okay, well, in the following few verses, Paul gives two examples where order was needed. Order was needed in the church at Corinth, uh, where bodybuilding was needed rather than any sort of selfishness. Paul, and perhaps there was indeed some sort of chaos as they met together. Uh, especially when it came to speaking in tongues. Tongues is the first example Paul uses in verse 27. Now, we spoke a lot about this last week, so I'll only mention this briefly. We'll spend more time on prophecy. Note the first word of verse 27, if. So there's no suggestion here that this must take place. It's an if. Uh, anyone who speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three, should speak. One at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter... The speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. So tongues, uh, following on from last week, are not an important means of building up Christians. The only thing that builds followers of Jesus is understood or intelligible words. And so tongues must be interpreted. It's very clear, isn't it? It begs the question, how can faith be built if you don't understand what your faith is in? That's fair enough, isn't it? Very hard. Well, another issue at Corinth was uh, prophecy. So as they met together, uh, then they needed some correction here. Uh, they needed some order uh, prophecy. So verse uh, 29, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. Now, again, recapping last week, prophecy we talked about was intelligible speaking. 
speaking the word of God, sharing the word of God, the truth about Jesus, gospel truth as it pointed to Jesus. It builds Christians. We saw that. And I reckon, too, it's often spontaneous. It's not always a prepared talk, say, like this is now. Now, here's my suspicion. My suspicion is, and again, I think reading between the lines, you might have picked this up last week. Maybe I wasn't as clear. Uh, My suspicion is that this type of New Testament prophecy we're talking about here, prophecy today amongst Christians, is happening a lot more than we think it is. We just don't call it prophecy. I mentioned last week uh, missionaries sharing the work of God as they come back and and encourage us and point to the gospel. Uh, people who, who have, um, are Christian people who share how they became Christians or how God's moving in their life, uh, prophecy, I think. But also, I reckon, just the day-to-day conversations that we have amongst each other. Uh, I've called them quite common, regularly from at the front here, gospel conversations. Gospel conversations with each other as they point to the Lord Jesus, as we build each other up in the word of God. Prophecy. But here, in Corinth, in the church gathering, well, it, it, it must be evaluated, Paul says. It must be evaluated by the others. You see that? Uh, it's just the rest of the church, but we'll come back to that in a moment. How do we weigh carefully prophecy? Well, first century Corinth, they weighed carefully prophecy uh, by comparing it with the teaching of the apostles. For us today, we compare it with what we read in our Bibles. So we make a judgment, but that judgment, that weighing carefully, must not be influenced by how confident the person is speaking, or how forceful they say what they say, or how clever they appear, or even how they dress, or how superior or mature they might be. The point is that when someone speaks the truth about Jesus, or at least claims to speak the truth about Jesus, you ought to check it. You ought to check it. We don't just accept it because of the standing of the person who spoke it, their authority, what position they might be put in, or, or even how it's delivered. And, of course, this must apply to all teaching, doesn't it? So we ought to have our Bibles open. Is he being faithful to the word of God? You see, a sermon is helpful or a success when the listener can say, I understand what is being written here. Not, I enjoyed that, or wasn't he funny, or wasn't he entertaining, or it was short. Um, Settle in, it's not today. Uh, (laughs) Now, now, what makes a successful sermon? If you're serious about Jesus, this is the answer. What makes a successful sermon is our Bibles are opened, and we can say, yes, I understood the word of God. I understood the word of God more clearly And I'm going to respond to it and put those words into practice. That's what makes a successful sermon. Now, friends, there's a lot of teaching that we should check more thoroughly. Uh, Just because it seems helpful doesn't mean we ought to take it on board. And just because it claims to be Christian, and the same goes for websites and blogs and so forth, does not make it trustworthy. And again, friends, if someone... If someone comes up to you and they raves about what they've read from this Christian author, this Christian book they're reading, or maybe it is in some website or so forth, 
But they rarely tell you what they read in the Bible as a result of that book or that author. Well, then I think that's a problem. That's a problem. The authority is in the word of God in the Bible, not in what that author says. What we read ought to point us to read our Bibles more and more. That's what it ought to be doing. If it's not doing that, put the book away. Throw it away. Put it in the dodgy corner of your, of your um, bookcase. Come and see my dodgy corner if you want to. Um, <laughs> okay, let's get back to prophecy then. Um, verse 30. I'm just going to move this. I'm just going to keep hitting it. Uh, verse 30 tells us that there's no monopoly on prophecy. You see that? So I take it a revelation here is someone uh, says, someone sees a truth about God that they hadn't seen already. Um, in, in, in the evening church, we have um, uh, what we call BRW. It's nothing to do with Business Review Weekly, you'll be glad to know. Um, BRW <laughs> is a Bible reading of the week. And so in our little crowd, we share amongst each other um, something we've read during the week that struck us. And so we stand up and say, oh, I was reading Psalm 23 the other day, and I really like it. And they read a bit of it out, and we go, yeah, that's, that's good. Um, so maybe that's a, that's a bit like the Revelation that they're speaking of here. Uh, this is something that struck us that we learnt new about God. Uh, it's been revealed to them. Now, therefore, verse 30, 31, uh, let others have a go. Uh, let others have a go speaking the truth about Jesus. There's no monopoly on it when Christians meet together. Why? Verse 31, for you can all prophesy in turn so that, when you see a so that, it's a purpose statement, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. You see the purpose there? You could say everyone may be built up. So verse 32, this is not like Old Testament prophecy. Again, looking at last week, Old Testament prophecy is where the spirit controlled the prophet. He could do nothing but speak. Read about Jeremiah. He couldn't but speak. But this type of prophecy is different. And here's, here's a reason why. Because the spirits of the prophets, remember little s, not capital S, the spirits of the prophets, that's our emotions, our heart and that sort of thing, that controls what we do. That controls the prophets, who, those who are speaking. So therefore, we ought to have some order. We ought to make sure that we weigh carefully what's being said. For God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. Uh, in disorder or chaos, Christians are not built. Okay, well, time's getting along now. I reckon we might sort of leave it there. That's probably a good spot to leave it. I'll just pray for us and we'll move on. Uh, <laughs> no, no. All right, we, 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 we come to some... Um, Oh, look, they're difficult, aren't they? They're difficult words. They're really hard words. Verses 33, the second half of verse 33 through to 35. Difficult, hard words. Let me tell you why I think they're difficult. I've got two reasons, and then let me read the passage, the verses again, and then I'll make a few comments. Here's why I think they're so difficult. First thing, the recent, and I think it is recent, certainly in the last five, sorry, 10 to 15 years, the recent shift in thinking and confusion regarding gender roles in society or gender more broadly. So, for example, any differentiation between men and women is seen as bad and often derogatory of women. To suggest differentiation in roles and that there's a difference between men and women beyond the biological is almost, it's either, either frowned upon or flat out ridiculed. But... The Bible speaks of the differences between men and women as a good thing, and these differences being much more than just biological. First reason. Second reason these words are particularly difficult and particularly tough is that is the S word, uh, submission. 
<laughs> we have negative ideas and thoughts associated with the word submission, and that's understandable. When we hear the word in our context today, in our culture today, we associate the word with subservience, uh, with inferiority, uh, a doormat. Everyone walks over the top of you. Um, freedom's restricted. That's those sort of ideas. They're not all very positive. But that's not what the Bible says about submission. Let me read the verses again now, and then I'll make a few comments. So verse uh, 33, second half of verse, th verse 33 as in all the congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Hard words, aren't they? Well, we ought to ask first, why? Why does Paul say this? And... Why does he need to say this? That's an important question, isn't it? First, we've got to remember the context. It's very, very important, the context, as always. The context is weighing carefully prophecy. That's the context of, Paul in the, of these sentences. Verse 29. And then he returns to prophecy more specifically in verse 39. So Paul's still thinking about prophecy and weighing up prophecy when Christians meet together. So as they met together, this is how it probably worked, right? They're meeting in a room, probably a little bit smaller than this one. Uh, someone gets up and shares the truth about Jesus, uh, or at least claims to be the truth about Jesus, and everyone listens. They take it in turns and they listen to each other, and they work out whether this is something that is true according to the Bible, a true according to the apostles' teaching. But here's the problem. That is that God has made men and women different, uh, equal but different. Gender differentiation, the way God has made us, is something that he intends to be expressed. And he intends that the gender differences between us, male and female, is meant to enrich human relationships. It's for our, it's for our good. Now, we spoke at length about the expression of this differentiation when we looked at 1 Corinthians 11 uh, a few weeks back. So I'm not going to go into a great detail now. Um, and if you weren't there for that week, uh, you ought to come back and listen. Uh, you ought to go back and listen to that sermon. It's very important. So God says part of that enriching human relationships involves differenti differentiating roles for men and women. So God says part of uh, the, the different roles. So in the Christian con congregation, like in Christian marriage, men have been given a responsibility that differs from the responsibility given to women. Now let me pause for a moment. It's pretty heavy stuff that I'm going to talk about now and, and, and come back to in a moment as well. I want to say a couple of things, especially in the light of some discussion in the media, uh, particularly the ABC, over the past week um, in regarding, uh, regarding domestic violence in the church and, and more, more recently domestic violence amongst clergy in the church. I want to be very clear because I think the Bible is very, very clear as well. Submission is never an excuse for any kind of abuse, whether physical, emotional, verbal, whatever. It's never an excuse. I want to speak to the husbands. Husbands, if you are using the Bible to control or manipulate your wife, 
Well, then you've misunderstood the word of God and Jesus stands against you. Headship in Christian marriage is defined very clearly. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. That is, sacrificially. How does Christ love the church? He died for the church. Serving the church. Giving up his rights for hers. That's headship. That's what it is. Submission in Christian marriage is the wife trusting the husband in this responsibility. Uh, Michelle spoke a few weeks back from chapter 11 um, on submission. She shared about what that meant for her. Uh, if you weren't here for that sermon, you must listen to it. And you could, um, I'll throw it in the deep end here. If you'd like to talk to her afterwards, ladies, please do that. Is that all right, honey? Thank you. Uh, <laughs> um, it's not, now here's a good definition I came across. So submission, in the, submission, whether in mixed church gathering, like it's referred to here in chapter 14, or in Christian marriage, such as Ephesians chapter 5, submission is not the forced subjugation of one person to a cruel authoritarian, but it's a choice freely made to honour a person and acknowledge the weight of the responsibility God has placed on their shoulders. That's what it is. Abuse of any kind is completely contrary to the Bible's description of Christian marriage. So husbands, our responsibility is not to, not to tell our wife or order our wife to submit to us. That's not our responsibility. We're never told to do that. Our responsibility is, responsibility is to love her as Christ loved the church. Wives, your responsibility is not to tell your husband to love you. But instead, your responsibility is to trust him and respect him in his responsibility. Now, there's a lot more that could be said here, obviously. Uh, but I needed to respond to it just briefly from what, particularly in the last week. Uh, time won't let us go on forever. Um, let's get back to Corinth. Now, the problem in Corinth was that the Christians, the, the Corinthians, had got the idea that gender makes no difference. And so men and women could do whatever they thought was appropriate for them to do as they gathered together. It doesn't matter if you're male or female, do whatever. Well, then how does Paul respond? How does, what does Paul require? What does God require? Well, in the context of evaluating prophecy, men should take the responsibility for speaking and women should respect that responsibility. Now, why have a rule like that? Why have a rule like that? It's difficult, isn't it? Well, Paul tells us, uh, just like he did back to in chapter 11, he points us back to the Old Testament. He points us to the law. See verse 34? The law. Now, I take it in the context of 1 Corinthians 11, in this chapter, and also Ephesians 5, when Paul refers to the Old Testament or the law in, this con in the context of men and women and their differences, he refers us back to Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, particularly the reading that um, Sharon read for us. Now, there's nothing to say. There's nothing that nothing here that says that women are inferior or men are superior. It doesn't say that. But the Old Testament, uh, Genesis one and two, are being referred to here. As I'm saying, the Old Testament does speak about ordered relationships between men and women, where the responsibilities are not the same. Why is it disgraceful? Whoa, that's a tough word, isn't it? Uh, you, could, you could change it to, to shameful. It's translated a similar way. 
Why is it like that? It is very strong. What does he mean? Well, again, uh, similar to uh, chapter 11, Paul says to the church, it is shameful, it's disgraceful for you to overthrow or disregard the differences that God has created in the human race for good. For you to want there to be no difference, that's a disgrace, God says. To want the differences not to be noticed or expressed, that's, a sh- that's shameful. But remember the, the context of evaluating prophecy. That's what it is. Weighing up prophecy, that's the context. So Paul is not saying that it's a disgrace for women to speak in any, any context in, in, in church and so on. He's not saying that. Uh, chapter 11 clearly says that women are to prophesy and to pray pub, in the public church gathering. And, I, and, and we can add, yes, leading singing, uh, reading the Bible. I'm very pleased today that we had two Bible readings, uh, readers who are female. Um, I, would have almost, I would have changed them if they were too male, actually. Um, and Rod, I almost gave you the call and said, we need a women, woman leading the service. But that's okay. We often have, we often have women leading the service, and that's okay. Um, absolutely. Women can, can and must and should speak in our public gatherings. Uh, it's against God's word for them not to. Okay. Well, this is all well and good, isn't it? And I hope I've explained it clearly. But it's still difficult. <laughs> it's still difficult. Still really hard, and, I, and I've got—I'm sure there's more to say. And uh, maybe I'd love it if you could—if you want to chat to me more about it, please do that. Um, if you want to explore it a bit more deeply, I'm going to. Well, actually, I recommend the book now. This—all um, uh, good ideas are stolen, and most of this sermon comes from this book. Um, so uh, this is a great book called God's Good Design. Um, it's by Claire Smith. Claire's very much an expert on, in this area. Married to Rob, who spoke at our services two or three weeks ago. When was it? Um, Rob also was our uh, guest speaker at our open mic night. Um, so Claire's, a, Claire's a, a very highly intelligent woman and a leading thinker and all this sort of stuff. She's wrestled with it for years. It's a really good book. If you're particularly for ladies, if you, this is something that you've struggled with and wrestled with and it's okay to wrestle and struggle with it, um, this is a book you must read. Um, you can get it through the normal sort of Kurong Asylum, but talk to Brooke, I'm sure she can order them in. Um, they might even have some. Yeah, there you go. So really, really good book. Uh, and it has, it has a good discussion on all those tricky passages that um, come up in this topic. Okay, so uh, yeah, it's, it, it, is still, it is still difficult. Um, last, little, uh, last little point we, we need to look at here. Um, Paul is still concerned that the churches take this seriously. Verse 36, he says to them, if you think otherwise, in other words, if you've got a different plan, well, you're wrong. (laughs) He says, did the word of God originate with you? No. No, not at all. Did you start this whole thing off so that that you're better than anyone else? And, And are you the only people that the word of God came to? No, no, this is the practice in all of God's churches. See, this is serious stuff, Paul says. This is the Lord's command that the apostle writes. So don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. Finally, in verses 39 and 40, Paul sums things up. Do everything in a fitting and orderly way, he says. Don't just do what you like. Don't just do what you enjoy or feel like or what makes you comfortable. When you come together, 
do everything, and that includes our conversations over morning tea, do everything for the building up of the church, for the building of the, of the body, so that our faith in Jesus is built up and strengthened. So we love each other more, so that's built up and strengthened. And so our hope of heaven is also strengthened and built up. How about I pray for us? Uh, today too, I'm not going to do, it's not, hopefully it's not a cop-out. I'll tell you why this is not a cop-out. I'm not going to do an open question and answer time today. Um, the main, main reason why is because for some people, um, this is a very difficult and tough and emotionally tough topic. And sometimes we don't say things that, uh, oh, sometimes, it's better to do it in a more controlled way. Um, only because of the nature of this topic. So what I'm going to do, though, after the last song, I'm going to plant myself around here somewhere and I'm just going to sit there for about 20 minutes or something, or however long it takes. And if people want to come and talk to me, please do. Uh, you've, you don't forget you've got the comment cards. You can write a uh, comment there, a question, and I can get back to you if you like. Or give me a call and we're going to have a cu- cup of coffee together. Um, that's, what, uh, that's what we'll do. So I hope that's okay. If you really wanted to make a public statement, um, then talk to me and you can do that maybe next week or not. Um, so <laughs> how about I pray for us and um, we'll, uh, we'll close. Father, we, um, we, we thank you for your goodness to us. Uh, well, we, we know that some parts of the Bible are difficult. And we do pray that you would help us to, yeah, Lord, Lord, help us to be obedient to your word. And sometimes that's really hard. Sometimes culture, the culture around us really clashes with what we read. But Lord, you are sovereign, you are eternal, you are the alpha and the omega, the first and the last you always have been. Um, Lord, cultures come and go, but you do not. So Lord, help us to trust in your word. And Lord, Lord fall, at the, fall at your feet in humility before it. Help us with that, dear God. Amen.